Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckettes join me shortly in our topics this week. In Kansas City government, some jurisdiction friction, both friction and fiction in the presidential campaigns, and a new campaign to stop gun crimes, plus roast and toast. But we start with our newsmaker segment and talk about a topic that has dominated local news coverage for the past several weeks. It deals with property tax assessments in Jackson County. Many residents were startled when notification arrived in the mail and they found their property values and perhaps ultimately their actual tax bill had skyrocketed. The complaints began and county officials extended the deadline for filing appeals. That initial filing period has now ended and the matter goes to the Jackson County Board of Equalization. One of the members is Preston Smith, who joins me now. Mr. Smith, thank you for coming in, and welcome to Ruckus. You bet. Thank you. How would you define the Board of Equalization? What is it? What does it do? Well, it's created under state law, and the main objective is to try to equalize taxes, to be fair for everybody, and that was the goal. How did you get on the board? I was appointed by the Blue Springs School District uh, 12 years ago. All right. Now that people have received their assessment, what does that mean? Well, it means that if you're not appealing it, then uh, you'll probably get a bill in December. And it may be very close to what you receive the notice for, but uh, it may not be. Uh, the levies are going to be set in October by the school districts and the cities. So what people received in the mail is approximately the worth of their property. And now the various taxing jurisdictions, city hall, county governments, school boards... Uh, library boards, they, they put forward their mill levy, and that determines what the tax would be based on the property value. That's right. That worth is what the assessor says it is. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what it is. Okay, so they get a bill or they get an assessed valuation in the mail, and they don't agree with it. They think it's way too much, as thousands of people do. What is their recourse now? They filed for an appeal. What happens? Uh, there are going to be some hearing officers they uh, will see uh, if, they, uh, if they still don't get settled by the assessor. The assessor may call them and say, okay, uh, let's work it out here on the phone, uh, try to wheel and deal, and uh, arrive at a number. But if you can't arrive at a number, then you appear at a hearing officer. And if you can't agree there, then you come before the full board of equalization. And if you're in Blue Springs, that's where I'll see you. All right. So uh, there are people from throughout Jackson County who have mm -hmm. filed appeals, do they all go to the same Board of Equalization? They do. I mean, you've got three permanent members that will hear all the cases, and then you've got the other different jurisdictions that will be there to hear their cases. All right. If, if someone finds they're going before the Board of Equalization, the board you sit on, what's your advice to them? What do they need to say? What do they need to bring with them? need to be very, very prepared because uh, the time that you've got to present uh, could be quite short. Uh, I would recommend that you get a, 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 an appraisal. Uh, done and also uh, comparable sales data and make sure that they are, if they have any pictures make sure they present all that too. Uh, you've offered some advice about how to resolve all this and cut through the confusion. What, what are you suggesting? Well back in July I talked about a, a flat rate across the board uh, countywide and uh, the state tax commission said well that's really not trying to get us closer to market values. Uh, a, a, a 
a process that I'm going to be working through this weekend with a realtor is that we are going to actually look at market values by neighborhood and come up with neighborhood values across the county. And right now there are some neighborhoods that are about 40% over market value of the way they've been assessed. We try to lower those down and get that closer to market value that will hit every, all the criteria the State Tax Commission talks about. And then come to the Board of Equalization to get these cleared up by neighborhood. So if someone comes then to the Board of Equalization and they don't like the result with the Jackson County Board, do they have any recourse then? Absolutely. You can go appeal this to the State Tax Commission. They have hearing officers that come out here and make your case. And if you don't like there, you can, eventually they have three people appointed by the governor. Uh, state tax commissioners. Uh, so there are a couple more ho hoops they can jump through, but uh, each time it takes more time and it's a little more complicated. Roughly how many appeals have been filed? You know, the, the numbers I've seen are between 30 and 40,000, which, uh, that, I mean, you've got some duplication that's going to fit in there. Some people may have filed twice. Uh, but no, that, that's remarkable because in an average year we might get uh, three or four thousand. Sounds like you're going to be a busy man for the next few months. They're talking about four days a week, but like I said, I've not had any hearings yet for, for the last two months. But, but one final quick question. If somebody comes in for an appeal, can they bring an attorney with them? Uh, you can. Yes, there's no problem with that. Does uh, that, that make any sense for it, people to do that? I mean, you can have representation, but uh, still the evidence is all that they can present. But uh, actually, the homeowners are a little bit more credible. They make their own case stronger <laughs> themselves. Is there any sort of website or any place online that you would suggest people go for advice or for guidance? Uh, what the Board of Equalization has got out there on the county's website is probably the best uh, okay. source of information. Uh, I mean, they, they tell you basically how to start. Uh, there are other folks, uh, I mean, anybody can email me or call me, and mm -hmm. I'll be glad to walk them through that, too. Well, I think I feel your pain, and I wish you well, and uh, good luck with this process. Thank you very much for coming in and talking with us. Okay, thank you. That is Jackson County Board of Equalization member Preston Smith. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. Denidre Herbert is a journalist with the Sentinel website, part of the Kansas Policy Institute. John Stevens is president and CEO of Port KC. Marianne Murray Simons is a freelance writer and consultant. And Woody Kozad is president of the Kozad Company, a government relations firm. It is great to see all of you again. Thank you very much for coming in. A lot to talk Glad about to tonight. Thanks, Mike. As the Kansas City homicide toll hits and passed 100, the new mayor and city council hit the ground running with ordinances aimed at gun control. One ordinance makes it illegal for minors to have handguns, reinforcing federal law. The other reinforces a state law dealing with adults providing guns to minors. The idea is to give law enforcement more ability to seize weapons from minors and place the offenders in a diversion program. Mayor Quentin Lucas says these ordinances are among his proudest accomplishments as a public official. So do you think the mayor's pride is justified, or is this new legislation simply designed to show the public that something, anything, is being done? And we'll start over there with Denidri. I mean, I guess he should be proud he did something, but he could have gone out back and buried his own weapon or something and done just as much to accomplish, I guess, his goal, lowering crime. Like, what he's done is not going to do anything to lower crime or eliminate it or keep people safer. It's, I guess, going to give police more ability to just take guns from people. From teens. From teens, which they had that, all, that capability already. 
I don't understand what these are going to do other than make him feel good. All right, same question. Uh, Mary Annie says this is his proudest accomplishment since taking office, and he was in office four years as a city councilman, now a few weeks as mayor. Is his pride justified, or is this just an attempt, as I said, to do something, anything, to show that the city is trying to deal with the homicide problem? It's an issue that continues, and this is a step in the direction of controlling an, an epidemic in Kansas City, Missouri. So I agree with Denidri that this is, this is a very small step and one that needs to continue. Um, the city it doesn't have the power that it needs to really be able to control what the mayor is trying to control right now. It needs to be a collaborative effort with uh, the federal government and I'm hoping to see something happening in Congress that the city and state can partner with so that we actually have some control over guns in our community. Well John we've heard the previous mayor talk about the city's lack of ability to pass ordinances dealing with gun control. The city just passed two ordinances dealing with gun control. How did they do that? Well and I think this is a reasonable one because we're talking about minors and, and, and I think the mayor has a good point in the fact that 18, 19, 20-year-olds that are illegally using guns for violence, and which it is an epidemic in our city, and we have to address it in a multifaceted approach, but uh, these 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds that pull out a handgun, it's not the first time they've had a handgun in their waistband or in their pocket. And if we, if we can even do a tiny step to help give local law enforcement a little, a few more tools to get some of those handguns out of these minors' hands, out of these teenagers' hands, um, I think it's it's a small step, but it's a meaningful one. Well, Woody, the uh, state legislature is having a special session next week, and uh, there are people who are urging the governor to include gun control measures in the special session. He said, no, that's not what it's for. That's not the way it should be. What do you think about that? Well, look, <laughs> what's the murder rate in Liberty? Uh, They've got access. They're under the same state laws, the same federal laws. They have the same easy access to weapons that you have in Kansas City, Missouri. They have a different murder rate and homicide rate. Uh, everybody pointing at guns. I mean, it just gets tiresome. Uh, the federal. The one thing I will say for this: uh, the federal law. U.S. prosecutors got other things to do, and he's not going to enforce mm -hmm. it. So when you turn that into a local ordinance, then your local cops who do care and your local prosecutors mm -hmm. may be able to actually enforce the law. All the federal gun regulatory laws in America, I mean, they got about 40 convictions a year in the whole country under any of those right. laws. The U.S. attorneys have other things to do. They leave uh, the illegal use of weapons to local law enforcement. So that's the one thing in it I can say something yeah. for. Other than that, any attempt in a country with 300 million guns in it to say access to guns is what we're going to do to take care of this uh, is, is lunacy. My, my worry is that when we start making confiscating guns a, a priority, whether it's even when the priority is confiscating guns, you may run into people. I think you create more danger for police. In some ways, it's the, the police. If I'm walking down the street and I obviously look 18, carrying my weapon, and they try to, I mean, I would try to defend myself potentially, and I'm a law-abiding citizen legally carrying a weapon. I just think it creates more danger, and it doesn't get to the heart of the problem. Well, you need 100 more cops in this yes. town. Let me, yes. let me ask you something. Uh, Denidri, uh, Mayor Lucas 
has pledged to lower the crime rate, including homicides. Is that a bold, thoughtful pledge, or is he a bit naive in doing uh, that? I, maybe he's Batman. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think it's a, it's, it's a nice thought, and I hope he can. Obviously, other places has, have successfully um, done things to curb crime, but I don't think taking guns is where they is what actually does it. It's things like the Rudy Giuliani broken window theory and adding more police. And then there is a huge systemic problem that has nothing to do with public policy, and that's, in my opinion, the lack of fathers and people. Uh, I'm going to ask Marianne about that as our final question. Are there reasons other than the availability of guns that Kansas City records a lot of homicides? Absolutely. And this is a really important holistic issue that Quentin Lucas has taken on and hopes the city can continue to work with law enforcement to control. This is a step in the right direction. There are many other steps that need to be taken in order to control Absolutely. the rising murder rate in Kansas City, Missouri. Now we're going to step in another direction, <laughs> and we will label this next segment any Fort KC in a storm. Oh. A storm of controversy. Knew it was coming. Thank you. Uh, the star's Dave Helling says Port KC and the mayor are on a collision course. The result of Port KC's ability to offer tax breaks, borrow money, condemn property, and even set up special taxing districts without city council approval. While it may seem surprising to some, Port KC is identified as a political subdivision of the state of Missouri, established in 1977. Even though the Kansas City mayor appoints Port KC commissioners, port officials say they are under state and not local jurisdiction. Mr. Helling says Port KC CEO John Stevens is pouring oil on troubled waters at City Hall. Fortuitously, John <laughs> is on the panel this week, was scheduled to be on the panel before this uh, column ever came out. Yeah. So let me ask you the first question, John. Yeah. Are you trying to start a race? <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe only about all the metaphors that were thrown into that opinion. Column. No, uh, I think the only person starting a ruckus is, is, is an opinion writer with a hot take. Um, and the, the reality is that Port KC is, yes, it may be a political subdivision of the state, but in the 11 months I've been there and the years before, there have been a lot of great work done in revitalizing the riverfront, in Richard's Gebauer reclamation, in all of these things. And I would say very clearly that the mayor's emphasis on affordable housing, the mayor's uh, and the council's emphasis on those issues and on job, quality job growth in our community are all things that we're behind. And I would say that there's not a ruckus there is a working collaboratively down parallel paths to create some, some positive outcomes for our Well, community. in the excellent research that Eric Motter has provided yes. us for this yes. program, I saw one story mm -hmm. where you had said to the Kansas City Star that you and the mayor had talked and were on the same path and the, had the same approach to dealing with these issues and that the Port KC activities would not interfere at all with the so-called border war agreement between the state of Missouri, state of Kansas, and yes. the city of Kansas City. The Dave Helling column came out well, several days later. How, yes. did, how um, do you explain I, I, that? He may have been on vacation. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, wanna, I, I don't wanna to, to presuppose anything. But, but I you'd already you. answered some of the questions I, I, he raised absolutely. in the column. And, and I, I can tell you, as far as the border war, I have been incredibly outspoken, uh, as has Port KC, in supporting all of the initiatives of Governor Kelly and Governor Parson, and that it is a, a race to the bottom and reshuffling the deck. And as a matter of fact, the day that Governor Kelly issued her executive order that matched the Missouri State Legislature's approved border war uh, uh, truce, 
port issued a complete uh, uh, ordinance or a, a, a policy that our commission unanimously approved that conformed and exceeded all of that, that prevented any support of job attraction and recruitment of businesses from Johnson, Wyandotte, Miami, and was a part of this. So we've been at the table, and I would say that uh, the issue of the border war is not an issue of Port KC because we don't believe in supporting a border war uh, race to the bottom. Well, Woody, you've watched all this for a long time and commented on it uh, frequently on Ruckus. What do you think about the fact that there is a Port KC that can do tax breaks, issue bonds, et cetera? Well, uh, and Helling's almost opening paragraph said that the authority could offer tax breaks, borrow money, condemn property, and even set up special tax districts without the approval of any elected body or official. So is that right? Uh, in a very broad sense, yes. Yeah. I think that's what I said in the introduction. To, uh, <laughs> well, nobody believes you. I mean, we're gonna, apparently no one, no one pays attention to the introduction so to the topic. So, Mike, to answer your question, I don't believe in that. I don't believe there ought to be an unelected appointed board somewhere that can give Google some kind of benefit that other businesses and individuals cannot get, and it isn't available to them. I think that's no way to make public policy. Somebody who stands for election should have to raise his or her hand and vote amen or put his or her signature on it when you do any of those things. And, and to be clear, while you did say we are a political subdivision, Port Casey is a political subdivision in the state of Missouri, um, we are... The mission is focused in Kansas City, Missouri. That is why we work with the city council. That's why we work with the mayor. And additionally, to, to reference uh, Woody's comment about the Google, which data centers are controversial nationwide. That, that is clear. This was not, we did not do this alone. This was in conjunction with the governor's office, with the state legislature, with the Department of Economic Development, with the EDC, the ADC, and the city. Everyone Everybody but together. the city council and the mayor of Kansas well, City? No, I, I would, the mayor hadn't been elected oh, at okay. that point. Not one of them has cast a vote or put his signature on it. They get to hide behind you. Uh, when, when somebody starts, like Helling or Woody Kozad, starts crying giveaway, to the rich while we charge an earnings tax on the first and last dollar that working poor make in this city uh, and we're doing giving breaks to Google and when we get upset about that the governor doesn't have to stand up and say well yeah I did that Google deal and you're ready you're ready to take the hits right absolutely now, all right uh, going to move on now it is unusual to see a president seeking a second term face primary opposition from within his own party it has happened a couple of times in the fairly recent past. President Carter was challenged by Teddy Kennedy in 1980. President George H.W. Bush by columnist Patrick J. Buchanan, the sainted Patrick J. Buchanan, <laughs> in 1992. Neither challenger won the nomination, but the two presidents, Carter and Bush, both lost the general elections, becoming one-term presidents. There are now two Republicans running against President Donald Trump. One is former Illinois Congressman Joe Walsh, who was a leader in the Tea Party Revolution. He is now a talk show host and therefore must be highly qualified. <laughs> the other is William Weld, a former Massachusetts governor who was the Libertarian Party's presidential nominee in 2016. We can be reasonably certain neither of these men will win the GOP nomination, but can their opposition to the president hurt Trump's chances to win the big prize in November 2020? Start with Woody. No. Uh, I, I was at a breakfast uh, this morning, and the speaker, who clearly abominates 
Trump. But he, he pointed out that there has been a decline in payrolls in recent months in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Wisconsin, and Michigan, all the states that Trump took out from under the Democrats and that they need to somehow win back if they're to defeat him. Uh, if you have a slowdown or even a recession between now and 2020 or a war, Trump doesn't get reelected. No war, no slowdown. Trump gets reelected. William Weld and Joe Walsh are not what keeps the president awake at night. Well, President Clinton used to say it's the economy, stupid. And if you look at the economy now, it's pretty good shape. Yeah, it's kind of shocking how many people in the pundit sphere are talking are talking about the Y yield, the double Y yield. Inverted curve. Inverted yield. curve. Thank yes. you. And uh, I feel like there's pressure from from the establishment, if you will, and pundits to drive the economy into the into the tank. I'm not making any less money. I brought home more than I did the year before, thanks to tax cuts. But I'm still like, ooh, should I buy this? cup of coffee for five dollars when I can make it at home because of the Y inverted Y curve. I think it's inverted a, yield curve. Whatever it's called. <laughs> Thank you, economists. I, I just I my concern is that there might be a slowdown, but it's not a real slowdown. It's a slowdown in consumer confidence based on all these people scaring us to death. Being told there's going to be a recession. Yeah. Yes, it's scary. Uh, Marianne, uh, let's go to the other side. Democrats, several have dropped out of the campaign for president. Mm -hmm. uh, my question is this, why do some with little or no chance to win, Marianne Williamson, for example, the author, why Wasn't do people like that? In the debate. Oh, yeah. She was lovely. Why, why do people like that get into the presidential race? They have a cause. And they feel very strongly about what, it. Do you know and what they've her, got some cash do, behind them do, to keep yeah. them there. Do you know what her cause is? I listened to her in the debate, and she tended to kind of go around the block several times to be <laughs> able to get to her yeah. point. She wants us all to be kinder to each other, yes. to care and share. At, at least that's what I took away from the debate. It's time for a lot of these guys to step aside. We've got to get down to the main folks. And... Uh, I agree with Woody. I'm mm -hmm. not sure that these two candidates are going to have a huge impact on Donald Trump's ability to be nominated. The issue is what happens in the general. All right. Uh, let's talk about Joe Biden, uh, his yeah. gaffes, which yeah. seem to be <clears throat> frequent. Yeah. They make a difference. I, you know, um, in, in today's political reality, I, I think they do somewhat in a crowded field. But right now, there's, there's very little share of voice of, with so many candidates in the field. It, it almost doesn't matter. I think it's going to come down to uh, who's left standing, who the two or three or four people are left standing, and how they match up. And then I have to agree fully with Woody. I think that, that one of the key indicators is going to be where the economy is, where the global, global uh, conflict issues are. Those are going to be some of the issues that the Democratic candidates and Democratic nominee and President Trump are going to have to address head on to the American people. And finally, Denidri, very quickly, from what we hear from the media, health care and climate change are among the major issues. What do people really care about that you talk to? No one cares about climate change except for CNN and the 10 people who were on TV last night. Um, I, healthcare, I think, will be a big issue. I also think because Trump has the bully pulpit and he talks about immigration so often, I think that will be on the table. Climate change, no. Um, healthcare, the economy, and immigration, I think. All right, and now it is time for Roast and Toast, where the Ruckheads have 30 seconds each to elevate, obfuscate, or vitiate, vitiate. 
Well, like that. that that's, that's like inverted yield curve. Let's start with John. Sure. Uh, I'd like to give a toast to a, a very unique festival, the Spray Sea Mo Festival in the Crossroads. It's coming up uh, later this week. That is a mural festival. And in a, in a time in Kansas City when we have so many intractable issues and things, it's really nice to see dozens of local and national artists come together to create vibrant new arts and culture on the walls of Kansas City. All right, Woody. Uh, toast to Governor Parson, who's in town today. Uh, I represent the disclaimer. I represent the Missouri Association of Prosecuting Attorneys. We just had the second year of big fight about so-called criminal justice reform, the, the uh, Koch-Soros alliance that wants to open the doors to our penitentiaries and let everybody out. Uh, fortunately, this year it went much better because of the governor's personal involvement. We got a statute passed, a bill passed, that will reduce the prison population somewhat, but very responsibly. And I can tell you that if the governor hadn't personally gotten involved in it, we'd either have gotten nothing at all or something that was a mess. Denidri? Um This is my roast for the Democrats at the Climate Town Hall on last night. They wanted to limit the amount of red meat we can eat. They wanted to fund more abortions for to combat climate change, ban gas cars, ban plastic straws. These are not where America is at. And afterwards, most of those candidates hopped into their private jets where they flew off to fundraisers hosted by fossil fuel company owners. Um, and then an extra roast, side of a roast, for CNN for spending seven hours of their time and citizens' time of the five people watching to put that on television. Right, Marianne, who was one of the five. I have a hearty toast for Hot 103 Jams Radio for taking the message of if you see something, say something to its listeners. Their DJs are announcing every time they're doing a spot break the idea of putting guns down in this community, something we all should listen to and take to heart. All right, and finally, here is a roast to Michigan State University, whose student employees have been told to refrain from saying no problem to other students. What's the problem with no problem? Well, we learn it's a trigger warning and could make people believe they're a problem, even though they have just been told there is no problem. And by the way, I always thought a trigger warning was being told Roy Rogers' horse is running in your direction. <laughs> No and problem. that is Ruckus for this week. We are back next Thursday at 7, no problem. And now for the Ruckets and the crew, Mike Shannon saying thanks for watching and good night.